Uh, but if you have a Bible, join me in Genesis chapter 24. We are in a relationship series through the week of uh, St. Patrick's Day. We began at Valentine's Day week called Lucky in Love. And we're taking some time to go through a love story in Scripture that is so beautiful and learn so much along the way about our relationships as well. We pointed out last week that Genesis 24, which we'll jump back in in verse 9 in just a moment, is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis and is the second longest narrative in the whole book of Genesis and is one of the longest and continual stories really in all of the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And there's a lot of crazy stories in the first five books of the Bible. So the fact that God would single in on, hone in on this story that really amounts to a love story between a man and a woman just shows us how much God cares about our relationships. The Bible opens with a wedding. Jesus' first miracle took place at a wedding. The Bible closes with a wedding. So all along the way, we are left with this inescapable reality. Marriage is something that is good, that's from God, that he cares about, and our relationships that can cause us pain, pleasure, and uh, can be a blessing to us, they, they matter to God. The title of my message this week is Handle with care. Handle with care. That's something we, uh, we, we see printed on packages. It's one of the top two things you'll see printed on a package if the package is fragile. That's Italian. <laughs> fragile. Uh, handle with care. I, I put on my Instagram earlier this week, uh, tell me your top horror delivery stories. I kind of thought I was going to get a lot of stories about packages that had been treated by Ace Ventura, you know, kicked through the hallway and treated badly and mangled. And, and, and it was so funny because I put that out there thinking I was going to get a lot of broken package stories. But, but I got like everything except for what I was thinking I was going to get. I, uh, I got one person who wrote, are you talking about food or birth? Horror delivery, horror story. She said, food or birth? I was like, neither actually, but that's, I wanna, now I want to, my interest is peaked. I want to know your horror delivery and your horror uh, food story for birth. Um, but, but then I got, I got some other ones, uh, actually quite a few came in from people um, who had bought things and it just went malfunctioned. Uh, someone bought liquid laundry soap and it came open and everywhere. Right, I don't know that I would buy liquid laundry soap on the internet. Uh, tons and tons and tons and tons of stories came in from people who uh, had uh, COVID-related delays. They bought stuff, and uh, one person said they, they paid a ton of money for first-class shipping, and that was the day before lockdown started, so it came eight months later. Um, a lot of people, quite a few people, uh, got stuff delayed in their most recent ice storm, Texas, Midwest, stuff didn't show up. I, I'm on that list. I've been buying some meals that come already, you know, ready to microwave or put in the oven, and they come on dry ice, and you have to get them in the fridge, of course, right away. Due to the, the, the thing wherever it was messed up in the Midwest, these things came like five days late and not going to be eaten by me because they were warm. Uh, so lots of those stories. I got someone who... Um, Actually, quite a few people had bad experiences with robberies. Uh, someone said they delivered pizzas for Domino's and they got robbed at the door when they were delivering a pizza. Another person says, and I quote, I got robbed at knife point by a meth addict while making a delivery. That's uh, a problem. And then my personal favorite, and not at all the kind of story I was looking for, was the person who said, I was a pizza delivery person. The pizza delivery was to a hotel room. The man answered the door in a towel. And when I handed him the pizza, the towel dropped to the floor. Yeah, that is in every sense of the word, a delivery horror story. 
Everyone say handle with care. Put it in the chat, handle with care. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, this is one of the most important, in my opinion, uh, verses in Scripture on relationships in general and how important they are. It says, keep your heart. One translation says, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Listen to me carefully. What happens in your love life will impact all of your life. You can't outlive bad relationship choices. So we must, the scripture is telling us, handle with care. We're living in a day when relationships are kind of, you know, just blase and taken lightly, romantic relationships. Oh, end up hooking up with someone on Tinder or here and this friend group. And yeah, I hang out with them, but it's not really a big deal. Yeah, we might be hanging out here, but it's, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not going to end up in anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't marry this person. I wouldn't even really be this person's girlfriend or boyfriend. We're just kind of hanging out, code for usually hooking up, right? We're, we're sort of treating it casual. It's no big deal. Oh, that, it's no big deal. It's this person I slept with, it's not that big of a deal. And the Bible wants you to know, God wants you to know, even when it comes to just close friendships in your life, that when your heart gets involved and it's involved in relationships, it's going to impact your life. So scripture says, handle with care. Your soul is fragile. Your heart is fragile. Be careful who you let into your life. It is going to impact your life. And we see some principles that can help us handle our relationships with care here in Genesis 24. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to read to you starting in verse 9, a section that's kind of long. But like I said, everything in Genesis 24 is long and it's full of detail. And it's beautiful. Verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the, the thigh of Abraham, his master. Everyone say, handle with care. And swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. You made me touch your thigh. I'd probably take camels and ride off too, yo, right? For all his master's goods were in his hand. In more senses of the word than... And he arose, I apologize, uh, for nothing. And he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebecca. Now we finally meet this girl that Isaac's going to marry, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. 
And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the God, the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Now in the intervening verses, he and his whole entourage roll over to her house, is met by her super shady brother who is like just like a stereotype pulled from central casting, who the moment he sees the gold and the jewelry in, in this girl, realizes it came from them. And all of a sudden, he's like rolling out like the greasy red carpet and like super excited to have him over, over and real schmarmy. And they all sit down. And, and the servant uh, goes through the whole story, where he's from, shows him his identification, shows him his credentials, tells him all about the mission and his prayer and Rebecca. Uh, giving water to him and also to the animals and why he's there. And, and basically this whole thing rolls out. And then we will pick that story up in just a quick minute. But first, let's uh, try and come to uh, some, some, some conclusions about what's happening here. And we'll do so with this uh, method. We'll ask three questions. And the, the first question is, what was in the servant's hand? What was in his hand? And the answer is, of course, his master's thigh. Right? As we begin, I promised you last week, if you were here, that, that uh, I, would, I would explain what's going on here. So at face value, it's his master's thigh. The Bible says, Abraham said, please grab my thighs. You make this promise. Now, of course, culturally, we have no frame of reference for anything like this. Uh, you know, we would say uh, the closest equivalent we, we could come to would be if you were in a court of law, it would be place your hand on, on, right hand on this Bible and, and swear to tell the truth. That would be like the most solemn kind of oath. Right or, or basically uh, some form of like handshake agreement. That was of course pre-COVID. You can't do that now, right? Uh, but but the handshake or the here's my word or you know I was talking with our, our college students and, and one of them said the pinky promise and I was like yeah I think it's a little firmer than that and the pinky promise. Uh, but but basically 
Um, him grabbing the thigh, many commentaries say the thigh was the strongest muscle in your body, right? They don't know about the tongue. The tongue's the muscle that can move mountains. But the, but the thigh is, is sort of the strong, that's where all your strength comes from. So, so in that day, they say that grabbing the thigh would be a way of saying, like, this is out of your strength. I promise, promise me from the strength of, of your life that, that, that you'll keep this oath. It, just showing how urgent, how important, how, how solemn the promise was to Abraham. Uh, but, but other commentaries kind of dance around what is an uncomfortable reality, and that is the fact that the Hebrew word doesn't always get translated thigh. Sometimes it can, this word can actually just be translated loins, right? Now this is going to get real awkward real, real quick, but let me actually spill the beans here and tell you what I think that the servant was actually holding in his hand, and that is he was holding Abraham's legacy. He was holding Abraham's legacy. A Abraham, in having the servant touch whatever he touched on that day, it was a way in that culture at that moment for Abraham, who, by the way, is nearing the end of his life. And in fact, his last words recorded in Scripture are, do not take my son Isaac back to the land that I left. The final words, one of the most significant figures in all of the Bible, the one who we are told that if we believe in Jesus, we become essentially children, sons by faith of Abraham. This figure who looms so large in the Bible, his final words highlighting the significance of the covenant God gave him being passed on to the next generation so that we today could be sons and daughters of Abraham, stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, one of the innumerable company of those who have come to God by faith, not earning our own righteousness, which we could never do if we had a thousand lifetimes, but instead believing God's promises fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ, his son who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the grave on the third day and is willing to save anybody who comes to him, putting their faith in him. That this covenant being passed on, that this not dying with Abraham, that the dying words of Abraham, who is old and advanced in age, is make sure my only son Isaac, the son of promise, the son that my wife laughed at the idea of us even having a child, but she came home from the hospital holding in her arms what she at one point in her life laughed at. And I just want to speak into your life that what seems impossible to you, what you would laugh if I said this could happen to you, if I said you could one day be happily married or God could use you to change the world in some incredible way or you could start a business, you might laugh at it today, but I'm just daring you to believe there's going to come a day when you're going to hold in your arms, arms coming home from the hospital what at one point you laughed at. And Abraham and Sarah did have this baby. And it was so important that, that like they uh, came out of the land that they were originally from and went into a land of mystery, into a land of unknown, into a land by faith and dwell as strangers, that they had for their son a woman who similarly had that in her DNA, that she came out of that land and was willing to do so. And that's what Abraham said, find a woman for my son who's willing to leave where she's from and come out and blaze a trail into the wild blue yonder, a new spiritual story. So that was his dying wish. And he wanted the servant who had in his hand all that Abraham possessed. And Abraham was very wealthy. You get the sense of that when you see the bridal gift. If you read the story, the, the part of the story we, didn't, we won't have time to go through, the bridal gift that he gave to Laban, the shady brother character to Rebekah, 
It was massive, which showed that Abraham was truly blessed in all things, not just spiritually and emotionally and relationally, but also he thrived and prospered financially as well. And he was safe to bless because he knew he was blessed to be a blessing. And he lived this beautiful, generous story. So Abraham wanted the servant to understand what he was holding in his hand when he grabbed his thigh was legacy. He wanted him to understand, you are, you're holding the most important thing to me in taking my son, uh, a bride, pick, picking a bride for my son. More important than any of my money, more important than any of my treasure, my son's spiritual well-being and him being married to a godly woman who lives a life of faith and a bigger story than just this wor- world, just this hotel room stay, we said last week, but the bigger story of eternity of this infinite game that God wants us all to see life as. I want that. This is, this is what's in your hand. And the servant understood that. And you see the trepidation. You see the sense of holy awe as he approaches this relationship choice that he has been given the, the stewardship to make, that he knew that legacy was in his hand. And that's what I want you and I to, to walk away from this. Not that you would touch thighs. In fact, I think that the less touching is involved in your dating, the better, in fact, uh, quite, quite frankly. But, but I would say this. I would say that as you approach dating, as you approach you know, who you're going to marry, who, you, who you're going to be romantically involved with, and even the, the friends that you keep in this world, your, the people you are allowing to speak into your life, that you have in your hand the awareness that your legacy is in your hand, what God is going to do through you and what God is going to do through your family for generations that the right choice of who you marry, that the right selection of who you're going to be with is going to very much have an impact on your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and what they're handed by way of a story of faith that God wants to do through you. But if you end up with the wrong people, you'll start making the wrong choices and it'll quench your spiritual zeal and it will only ripple out for evil and not for good. It will only stop the things that God wants to do through your family as he is faithful to a thousand generations. So all I'm trying to get you to see is that there's so much more going on. There's so much uh, more at stake than just this right here in the moment and what's happening on Friday night and what you're doing when you're hanging out with your friends and, and these things that it's so tempting. It's so tempting to live only here. But you're 17 years old, but I dare you to start thinking about and dreaming about what God's going to begin through you that's going to continue on long after you're gone. Legacy, legacy. Church, I'm I'm telling you to, to think follow through in all you do, to have in your mind something bigger. The Bible says that God is faithful to a thousand generations. And what if you and your wife or you and your husband and the godly dynamics to your relationship and the passionate love and 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 the way you will fight for each other and fight for honor and remain faithful till death do you part can inspire your great grandchildren who are going to be surrounded no doubt just like you and I are by a relational marriage climate that's in chaos, that's tattered, where divorce is the norm and people abandoning even the idea of relationships. And yet we can see examples rising up where there are kids raised in a home with a mom and a dad who love each other and love God and do so imperfectly but faithfully. And what a difference that can make, not only on the cities that we live in, but this whole country and the world. And that is meant to be a bright light for the kingdom. Why does the devil attack marriages so violently? 
because he knows that the marriage, the marriage is meant to be one of the most powerful forces for evangelism in the world. And that God intends for that marriage that is thriving and rocking and cranking and, 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 and full of struggles and full of setbacks, absolutely, but continuing on, for that to be one of the beacons of evangelistic light in this world, a for sure component of the salt and light, the preserving influence on society. And so hold in your hand the awareness of legacy, much more important than money, much more important than just what friends are doing and what seems good on, on social media. What was in his hand? Say it with me. Legacy. Second question. We've got three questions. The second question is, what was in her hand? What was in her hand, Rebecca's hand? Now, of course, just like we know in the servant's hand was a thigh and a bunch of money. No, no, no. He was holding legacy. In Rebecca's hand, we could answer very, you know, just from the human perspective and say, a pitcher. The text actually says that as she came to give water, she let a pitcher down from, from her shoulder. So she had in her hand a pitcher. But what I think she actually was holding was greatness. Greatness. Because she, in watering the camels and, 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 and watering uh, the servant and all of the, those who came with him riding the camels. We don't hear much about his friends, but obviously he didn't just come with 10 camels, right? He, he had a whole crew that he was rolling with as well. She came to him, and as he had prayed, she had this willing spirit that she would uh, give water to the camels. Now, he sort of set this whole thing up kind of on purpose, it would seem, knowing that at this time of the day, the women, which in that part of the world, both then and to this day, it is often the job of the young women in the community to bring water, which, by the way, touches our hearts so much to be linked up with charity water, knowing we're making such an impact specifically on young women who it falls to them this horrible, dark task all around the world to this day of lugging gallons and gallons of water from wells back to the village, traveling miles at times just to bring any water at all for drinking or for washing clothes or, or any water that exists at all, which is why we as a church are so thrilled and honored and humbled to be linked up with Charity Water. And just what we got to see just a moment ago, the fact that we just got to finish five well projects in Cambodia that will alter the lives of 174,000 people. And for us, we're like, when do we start the next one? And I love as a church that every time a dollar comes in, every time somebody watching this on television or a podcast says, I'm not just going to receive from this, but give back to this ministry, that God, through this ministry, like the funds that Abraham was trusted with, we get to be blessed to be a blessing. And that we don't just get to make a difference by preaching God's word, but we actually get to meet needs of people like this young woman who was bringing water from a well. But the prayer of the servant was, God, when I, when I go to this well where all the young women are going to be, I'm going to ask one of them for a drink. And it would have been absolutely unthinkable for any of these girls to not offer water when he asked for it. Because the, the dictates of Middle Eastern hospitality just would have absolutely, you would have had to, they would have just been a, a pariah to not give a little bit of water as he asked for it. But it would have been very abnormal when he asked for a water and they gave it to him for them to suggest at their own, uh, you know, from their own compunction that they would feel like I, I need to also offer water to your 10 camels. All right. Now, Livy and I were, were looking at the Bible this week and we were, we were reading it. And I said, I said, how, how much do you think a, a camel can drink? 
And she, she said, I don't know, go on National Geographic website and I bet we can find out. So we got to Googling, uh, which is where almost all of my Bible studies lead to at some point. I already told you I went to Instagram for this one. It didn't, didn't turn out so good. Just got naked pizza stories. So here, here we are uh, on Google, on National Geo website. And I find this article and it says the average camel can drink about 20 gallons of water in 13 minutes if parched. And we know these camels were parched because they had just traveled 450 miles from Canaan to Mesopotamia. And we're told that she, seeing this crew 10 camel deep, right? There's a lot of camels. Anything over three camels is a bunch of camels, right? <laughs> that when, when the servant says, can I have a drink of water? She looks up and goes, oh, you have 10 camels. I'll give you water for all of your camels. So she gives him a drink from her pitcher, gives all the others that are with him a drink from her pitcher. And then based on her own just free will, she says, I want to water the camels. So she pours whatever water is remaining into a trough. And then it says she ran back to the well. How long would it take? How buff was this girl? What was in her hand? In my opinion, greatness, right? Because I don't know. The text actually says she gave water, water until all the camels had had their fill. How, how tired would you be getting 200 gallons of water? Who needs CrossFit? You don't need no Peloton. You see what I'm saying? She just, she's just giving water to these camels. And the text says the servant was stupefied. He just sat there wondering at her. Why? Because he was witnessing an answer to prayer. He didn't just want to get a girl for his master's son. He wanted someone who had on the inside of them greatness. And listen to me carefully. There is nothing that shows true greatness more than having a servant's heart. That's what Jesus said when two of his disciples got the wrong idea of what it meant like to follow him. And they thought that greatness following Jesus must mean having authority and getting to tell people what to do and receiving glory for it. And so they sent their mom. You already know it's gone wrong, right? When they sent, they sent their mom to ask, like talk about helicopter parenting here, right? We're living in a day when, when it's the, more and more, you know, parents for whatever reason are just wanting to, you know, be in on the Zoom call when their child has a job interview, right? And like, like just be not, not understanding uh, just that these kids need to make decisions for themselves and develop the grit that comes from at times failing and having to learn the hard way from those lessons. And so... These two disciples, uh, they sent their mom in, and, and James and John's their names, and, and mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my boys uh, sit at your right hand and at your left hand in the kingdom? And, uh, and Jesus is like, that's, that's, not, that's not how that works, just, just FYI. And then he goes to the rest of the disciples and addresses this. And the text says, when the rest of the ten heard it, they were displeased at James and John. Yeah, I bet they were, right? But then Jesus used the occasion to launch into a teaching moment about the true nature of greatness in the kingdom. And what he wanted them and what we all need to understand as well is that it's upside down from how it works in this world. He said, you know how it works in the, in the Roman Empire. Whoever's in charge is the one who gets to tell the most people what to do and receives the most adulation and receives the most glory for, for that position. But that's not greatness in the kingdom. He said in verse 43 of Mark chapter 10, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. For even the Son of Man, i.e. the most great person who ever lived in the history of the world, did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What are we receiving here? We are receiving from Jesus and from the servant and from Rebecca's example some of the greatest relationship advice you will ever receive. And that is if you want to succeed and thrive in relationships, be a servant. If you want to improve your marriage today, write down this goal to be more of a servant to my wife, to be more of a servant to my husband, to serve in the home, to serve this person, to, to seek to unlock their greatness and not try and flex my muscles and get them to do what I want, but to want to serve them. What do you want to do? What, what, are, you, what are you missing out on? What, what, what in your life, how can I make you better? Someone said that, that the definition of a, of a wonderful marriage is two people trying to outserve each other, that there's that mentality of I want to serve you, I want to I enhance your life. I'm not just trying to take, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give. That's some of the best sex advice you will ever receive. Be, seek to serve your husband. Seek to serve your wife sexually. The, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's far greater pleasure that comes from seeking to give than trying to get. There's, there, that's the, it's the upside-down kingdom. And as you seek to bless your spouse, as you seek to serve them, you'll enhance your life in the process. And as you're seeking to, to choose who you're going to marry, try and find someone he, the servant knew who was a servant. This would be someone who's going to be a phenomenal life partner with, to live alongside, someone who has that heart uh, of a servant who notices, oh, you're, you're, you're not just thirsty. Your camels are thirsty. I want to take care of them. She just had this kind of spirit. It's like, I, 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 want to, I want to take care of your camels. It was just that mentality. She saw a problem and instantly wanted to fix it. That's amazing to me. What was in his hand, legacy? What was in her hand, greatness? And what did he put into her hand is our third question. What did the servant put into her hand? And of course, you're like, well, he put a nose ring and he put uh, bracelets. No, no, no. Here's what I think he put into her hand honor. He put honor into her hand. And that's what one always does in the presence of greatness. One realizes, I, I'm, I'm to honor you. Now, the Bible talks about honor a lot. It's all over the scripture. Honor really just speaks of weight. If you want to understand what honor is, it's, it's believing someone's weighty, ascribing weight or worth to someone. And the reason that definition of that word came into the being as it did was because there was a day when the heavier a coin was, the greater worth it was believed to have because it was, a, it was a greater valuable metal. So if it was a heavier coin, it was worth more. So if something was weighty, it was worth more, right? That's how you get fooled at a white elephant gift exchange when you pick the heavy one up and you're like, oh, this one must be really valuable. And they know that. And that's why it's probably going to be one of the worst ones, right? They're tricking you people. Uh, but this idea of weight and worth and, and really what we're talking about when we talk about honoring is we're ascribing worth. We're ascribing worth to people. We're ascribing worth to situations. And when we, we, when we honor someone, we're saying you're heavy, thus valuable. Thus you're to be treated as the value I recognize you have inside of you. Now, we at Fresh Life, we like to say that here we, we're an uprising of honor in a world that has lost this virtue, in a world that just wants to cancel people and tear down people and criticize people and, 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 and just is, is so full of, of venom towards one another. We want to show honor up, honor down, honor all around because that's what the Bible commands. Everything about the life of a believer in a world that lacks it, even the basic levels of respect have gone out the window. But we're to be an uprising 
of honor. And this is to start with God because none has more value than him. So that's the reason we worship God and we worship no one else because there's no greater value, there's no greater heaviness, there's no greater worth than, than God. And that's why the Bible says that when we experience God's glory, we experience his heaviness. There's a heaviness to God's glory. When we worship him, a lot of times what you feel is you feel that heaviness. You felt it, singing praise songs to God. Just this heaviness, it's a comforting heaviness. And you know what a wonderful thing that is, is that that's in, instead of the heaviness of fear and the heaviness of dread that will come. So when we honor God, the gift, when we say he's the heaviest, we receive the heaviness of, of, of his glory in our lives, and our lives take on a whole new weight. But our honor isn't to stop with God. It's just to begin with him, and we're then to express honor to everyone who's been made in his image. The Bible says that every single person has uh, the image of God or has been made with his divine stamp on the inside of them. That means that there's no, there's no person who's worthless. There's no person who's a throwaway. There's no person who doesn't matter. Every single person. That's why we believe in life. We believe that the moment God brings life into a womb, there's value. There's, that's not to be taken lightly. That's not to be taken flippantly. We're to, to believe that that's, that's a significant choice we're making when it comes to the baby, no matter how the conception happened. I know my wife and I, we planned to wait five years when we got married before we had children. And we got pregnant, you know, really rapidly. And I remember we, we, were, we were just, you know, a few months into our, our, our marriage. And my wife called me one day um, on my old school, like, flip phone. And she said to me, she said, uh, Levi, I'm pregnant. And I was like, I almost like drove off the road. You know, I was like, what the heck? I was so confused and, and, and you know, surprised and stunned by the news. And, and I kind of assumed the pregnancy test was wrong, so booked us a, a time to go in to see our doctor. And he did a, you know, pregnancy test that I, I was convinced was going to be better than the one we got at Walgreens. And so he would tell us this was all a mistake and we were going to get our five years of getting to travel and do whatever we wanted and have no responsibility and, you know, be young. And we were in our early 20s. And so this was just definitely not what we intended. And, and I think he could tell that we were like, I don't know, is this, this is crazy. And, and he came back in, guy had a mustache, glasses that were kind of on the tip of his nose and clipboard. He comes in the room, I'll never forget, he says, Mr. and Mrs. Lasko, you are indeed pregnant. And we were like, whoa, mind blown. And he goes, so uh, what, do you want, what do you want to do about it? What do, what do you want to do about it? And I was like, I don't know, man, I think we probably should get a crib. Uh, phew, I thought you would tell us. What do you want? I have mean, diapers, I assume. I've got to figure out a name. I, it's like, I don't know if it's going to work. We have this small, tiny apartment. And then I realized at that moment that he wasn't asking about, about my plan for being a parent. He was, in fact, offering to, to get us an abortion, to take care of this, in, in his mind, problem. What do you want to do? And I, and I said, well, well no, I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to do anything about the, the pregnancy. And he goes, you mean you want to keep it? And I, I assume he doesn't have very many, at that point in, in my life, I assume he hadn't had very many young parents in there uh, who found out they were pregnant and then just, you know, automatically didn't have their first reaction, want to terminate the pregnancy. And so he goes, you mean, he takes his glass off, you want to keep it? It? Now he's talking, just so we're clear, about my 15-year-old daughter who brings joy into our life every day, Olivia Sky Lusco. And for the record, we did want to keep it. But the way he said it was so cavalier and so nonchalant, like, it, like he was like taking plates away from a table at a restaurant. Do you want to keep it? It would have been so easy to go, no, 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 go ahead, take it away. But we said, yes, we do want to keep it. He, 
kind of took a step back and looked at us for the first time that day and said, you know what? I think you two are going to be terrific parents. And I just thought the bar must be really low, right? Because two minutes ago, it was like, do we want to kill this child that is in Jenny's womb? And now we're just mother and father of the year simply by accepting the fact that there was a life inside planned by us or not that God had knit together within Jenny's womb. And we, though we were inconvenienced, certainly from our scheduling standpoint, what did we, what did we do? We, we trembled knowing that there was someone coming into this world made in the image of God, therefore worthy of honor. All life, every person, your color of skin or not, where you live or not, how you think or not, how you vote or not is worthy of honor. Their sexual orientation, we, we are to honor people regardless of whether or not we agree with their choices. The Bible says honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, obey the king. We are to start at honor. Honor was what he put into her hand because he knew starting out she was a child of the king but especially as we begin to navigate the complex choices that we make within relationships in our lives, I think honor is one of the most important ingredients. Because not only did he honor her here publicly in this moment, giving her jewelry, treating her like a princess, which is, by the way, what a child of the king is. So every person you've ever dated, every person you've ever hooked up with, every person you've ever slept with, every person you've ever downloaded pornography and lusted at their image, that's someone who's a child of the king, someone who's made by God, someone who has value and worth. And I love that he here is treating her, it really is beautiful because he is not going to be the one to marry her. He's treating her like someone else's wife. And I think until you're married, that's how every girl should be treated. And when you're married, that's how every other girl should be treated. Someone else's husband, someone else's wife. So there's an honor and a deference and a respect. And he's being careful with her. He's guarding her here, guarding her heart on behalf of another. All throughout our engagement, even, that was a mentality we had in our heart. Like I was still treating Jenny as someone else's wife and fighting to save that gift of sex, even though I was saving it for me until I was married. The enemy would want to put that kind of in your head, like, oh, you're going to be married in two weeks. It's what does it matter? But to fight and to save until that moment comes, she's someone else's wife. I was fighting for future me, fighting for future her. And I think that that is a beautiful example here of the way that he honors her. But then he honors her again when he goes to her home. And even though Laban's sleazy, and he is, and he'll pop up again and again in, in Genesis. This guy's like whack-a-mole. He's relentless, okay? Used car salesman on steroids, right? He still, the servant does, honors Laban for what he is, the man in her life until she's married to another. And so what does he do? He goes and seeks his approval, and he talks to him about it. And he not only honored uh, Rebecca, he gave gifts to Laban, representing the, 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 in, the bridal gift that would be given to the family as a way of, 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 of entering into all the customs of the day. And, you know, cultures have changed and times different. But what is not is that God wants this spirit of honor to be in our hearts as we approach relationships. 
this mattered to me so much when Jenny and I's, you know, courtship and whatever you want to call it, we were dating, we were moving towards, uh, you know, I wanted to ask uh, her, her permission to, to marry me. I want to ask, would she marry me? But first, I wanted to ask her dad. And, you know, just I think these, these, these old, you know, what feel old traditions are, are so important because I was saying before I become that covering and that, that protecting man in your life as your husband, I want to honor that you've had a father who has been that to you. And you would say, okay, Levi, the guy I'm dating, the girl I'm dating, she doesn't have, he doesn't have, you know, a, a dad. Well, then go to her mom. Go to her aunt. Go to, go to any respected person in her life and just, just honor whoever's been protecting her until you step in that place. I'm just guarantee you God will bless that. What would you want whoever's dating your daughter one day to do? What would you want the person dating your little sister to do? How would you want him to treat her and treat that daughter of the king in that way. I'm just telling you, there's, there's, these, these things might feel like, so that is so old school. What do you want me to do? Start sending like telegrams as well? I'm just saying this stuff is amazing. And there's a reason God has put it into our hearts and, and start to be the change in the culture that God wants for you to be. I thought I'd get at least an amen for some girls up in here, but no, it's all right. Um, I think that uh, we, we learn from these three things a lot of beautiful things. And, and how it worked out, if you look at verse 54, we're going to jump back in here now. It all worked out pretty well because he and the men who were with him and ate and drank stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10, that she may go. And he said to them, do not, this is a servant got direct here, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, well, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, and I love this, I will go. We'll get to why exactly Laban tried to slow them down a little bit here, what exactly was going on and why the servant didn't, didn't tolerate it. But, but first, let me just show you, as we approach our relationships with care, just as we begin to wind this down, four quick handles, four handles that we can have on our approach to relationships that will help us to care for them as we should. The first is creativity. Creativity. I love that the servant was creative as he tried to figure out, is this girl a servant? You'll notice he didn't just go up to all the girls at the well and go, y'all, who's a servant here, right? Anybody here have a servant's heart, right? right? And they raise their hand because anybody can say whatever they want to when they're filling out their eHarmony profile. Anybody can say whatever when they're, when they're filling out their, their Christian mingle, you know, or their, you know, whatever. And I'm not you know, knocking that. I know God, plenty of people who have met over the Internet and God uses those things. But I'm just saying anybody can say whatever they want about what's in their heart. But these actions that we live out over time, they, they, they really do betray it. And so the servant was creative to see and to witness and to, 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 to find out if it was there. What did he do? He put a situation together that would allow him to find out. If I ask for a water and you give my camels water too, that's the, that's the servant's heart. I'm watching you without you knowing you're being studied. And I think that's one of the most powerful reasons why it's, 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 it's important for us to, to be creative and to be careful about how we see, how we watch for opportunities during the dating phase to see what's really going on inside this person's heart. 
Is there really a, a servant's fear? I think serving within the church, serving God within your city and ministry you're doing, I think that is a, a powerful way to watch. How do they handle difficult situations? How do they handle, you know, having a team lead on this group of online hosts who all, you know, here's when you're supposed to be or do they show up on time? Is, what's, their, what's their work ethic like? This girl had that not only servant heart but just an amazing work ethic and he was creative. I think creativity must be employed in really figuring out what's going on. Because listen, you, you can suck it in for a little while. But over time, the reality comes out. What's really there comes out. And you must not be in such a hurry. Oh, we're going to get married. You've been, you just met two minutes ago. They're, they're, and you're like, well, this, this guy did this. All right, well, this is Abraham's. All right, so I'm just telling, in, in our day today, we need to, to give time, give space to allow there to be opportunities to see what God has really done in their heart before we rush into a relationship with this person. Creativity is also necessary in marriage, in relationships, being creative at how you express love, being creative at how you approach date nights and, and connecting together and growing in your love for each other, being creative in how you approach parenting and leading a home, finding things that are fun to do with your family to, to really uh, continue to grow in those friendships and relationships. Creativity is so important. Secondly, I want to talk for a second about attractions, the second handle. Because verse 16 says, Rebecca was very beautiful to behold. And that's important. Why is it there? Because it's true. And he thought she was attractive. And Isaac, we'll find out later, he thinks that she's attractive. And I don't want to belittle the importance of that. I think it's oftentimes in the church kind of this like, you know, oh, it doesn't really matter. That's not really that important. Hey, FYI, it is important. If you're going to be married for the rest of your life, it would be not a terrible thing to, to like what you see, right? That's, that's not bad. That's, that's not a bad thing at all. Chemistry and how you feel and, and that you like this person. But, but let me, listen to me carefully. It's not the most important thing. So for him, the, the prerequisite was where she was from that she's willing to, to come and go out of the place that she lived, that she was a servant. And then down the list is this idea, it, she's beautiful as well. Proverbs 31 says, charm can mislead and beauty soon fades, but the woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. So as you're thinking through who you're going to date and who you're going to approach and who you want, think about in your head something deeper than just the superficial, something deeper than just money, something deeper than just their looks, that there's something on the inside in their soul. You think about the marriage vows, till death do us part, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. Think about as you're choosing who you're going to make this decision to, to live with your soul connected to, that it's going to be someone who would be an honor to suffer with. Someone who would be a joy to go through life with if one of you, God forbid, ended up in a, a wheelchair or unemployed or, or God, God forbid the worst happened and someone in your, in your home dies and just to deal with the suffering that it would be someone who it would be uh, just as much of a joy to walk with in lean times as in the, the fat times. So attraction is important. It's just not the most important thing. Then third handle, resolve. There needs to be resolve in relationships and resolve to do what? To do God's will to do God's will. Uh, the servant, he had asked permission. Laban gave consent. He said, I can't speak about this good or evil. It's clearly God's doing that you're here, this whole thing. Everybody recognized there in that moment. This is happening. They gave permission. You can marry her. But then when the day came for them to leave, he goes, you know, you can leave, just, just not yet. And he said, you know, stay a couple days, perhaps 10. 
which many commentaries suggest is actually a way of, in that culture, of saying up to 10 months, we'll figure it out, we'll keep talking about it as time goes on. You can go, just, just not yet, and kind of hoping that instead Isaac would be brought back there uh, instead of her going to be with them. And the servants saw through this for what it was, an attempt to procrastinate and eventually talk him out of God's will, which is one of the devil's most successful strategies. He won't just try and tell you not to do what God called you to do. He'll tell you to do it tomorrow. He'll tell you you can do it later. J.C. Ryle once said, and I love this quote, he said, Satan doesn't care how spiritual your intentions are as long as they are determined to be done later. Because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And many of us have been talked out of doing the things we're called to do one day at a time, one year at a time. So the servant here, he said, I'm not going to be deterred. We're going to go. You said we can go. The time to go is now. He said, do not hinder me. Send me away. So there was resolve. You see that in his heart because he knew what was at stake. And then secondly, I see in, in, in Rebecca that there was resolve. And there had been for some time, because verse, verse 16 says, though she was very beautiful to behold, she was a virgin. And the choices she had made led to her to being at a place where no man had known her. Now, clearly in that day, just like in any day, it would be easy to have compromise for her. But she's come to this moment, and she not only has this servant's heart, as a single girl, but she's also said, I want to get to my marriage. I want to get to my wedding, whoever that man is, whenever that day comes. And I want to have saved myself, to have waited to be intimate with anybody and to go into marriage with this gift of me to give to him. And I just love that she had that kind of resolve. I told you last week, there needs to be a purposing in your heart that you would choose to, to fight for, and especially when it's difficult, to choose God's best for your love life. And I realize even in saying this, there's a lot of you know, tension, because some of you hearing that, I wish I could do that. I already gave that away. And, and I think the church has overemphasized virginity as some sort of holy grail benchmark of your love for God. And we've under-recognized what it looks like to honor God after you've made mistakes that you regret or after you've been through hard things that you didn't have a say in, whether it was a sexual assault or someone molested you when you were very young. And so this praising of virginity makes you feel like a second-class citizen or damaged goods or somehow lesser in God's eyes. But what I've always tried to preach and what I believe to the core of my being is that God is honored by us when we realize we've made mistakes and when we realize that there's a regret or when we realize that we wish the past could be different than it is, that we say from this day forward, I want to honor you from this day forward. I want to fight for your plans. I want to fight for my future marriage. I want to say, God, I don't, I don't just believe you can create. I believe that you can recreate and that I can get back up when I fall and that I can move forward from a painful memory and say that, Marriage isn't on the horizon right now, and I don't know this person, but I'm going to choose to fight for them from this day forward. And it's going to take resolve. It's going to take intentionality. And as we move towards week five and week six, I just want to tell you even just where we're going to be going. We're going to be giving you roadmap, especially those of you single in the church, single online, to, to take um, uh, an oath and to, to commit to whatever that looks like for you, to honoring God with whatever years and days remain between now and, and when God calls you to that person. 
And we're going to be giving out you know, to all of our church online family and to everybody in the church a, a, a little commitment card that you can keep and have as a token, as a reminder, as something precious and, and special and powerful of this promise that you've made to honoring God's plans for your love life. And so we're going to be so excited to be doing that in, in the weeks to come. But let me end here and, and the worship team will come and help us begin to close. I want to, I want to give you your fourth and final handle, and that is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. I see it all over the passage. When I say enthusiasm, I mean passion. I see it in verse 17 when the servant ran to meet her. I see it in verse 18 when she said, drink my Lord, and she quickly let down her pitcher. I see it in verse 20 when she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and then ran back to the well to draw more water and drew for all 10 stinking camels. I see it in, in her, her willingness in verse 58 when they called her together and figured she would be afraid to go and, and say, yeah, 10 more days sounds great. And, and he said, are you willing? And she said three words, I am willing. There was a willingness to her. There was a, because what she was saying, she's saying, I'm willing to leave my family and all I've ever known and blaze a trail 450 miles away to be married to this man who I've never met. There was a willingness. There was a fight in her. There was, there was, there was a, there was, a, there was something going on here. She, she had, she sensed God's hand on this. She sensed that God was stirring, even though she didn't understand it yet, to move away from the idolatry of her people and to move into this life of following God. There was something inside her, this enthusiasm, which is such an under appreciated, under-recognized thing in our day where I think meh has kind of become a cultural slogan. Eh, eh, just kind of apathetic and I don't know and just half-hearted and I'll just change the channels and, and if this convicts me, I'll just go over here and I, I'm involved here for a while, but then I lost interest and so doing that and just kind of sort of a, a tepidness where there needs to be fire. There's a half-heartedness where there needs to be diligence. And I love this servant who served with all of his heart. I love this young girl who, 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 who unleashed the greatness that God had put inside of her, and she didn't do it half-heartedly. I love that there was an enthusiasm, that they were giving God something to bless. And I think in our relationships, one of the greatest dangers to a relationship being weakened over time is through a gradual loss of enthusiasm. This is true of all relationships, but especially our relationship with God. Didn't Jesus tell the church at Ephesus that their biggest problem wasn't what they were doing? It was the fact that they didn't have as much love as they did at first. So what did he say? Do the things you did at the beginning. You see, the reality is Jesus was least recognized and least given honor. Where? In his own hometown. Isn't it possible that over years and over time in a marriage, over time in a relationship, you really can lose that tender, loving feeling. You really can lose that honor that you gave at the beginning. And it can eventually devolve and you can stop pursuing the person that you're married. You can stop dating your mate. You can stop giving the earnestness, the wholeheartedness, the enthusiasm. I love that word enthusiasm because at its core is theos, the word for God in the Greek language. That's where we get enthusiasm, en theos, or the God within, God inside, or possessed by God. It's a way of saying when you talk to someone who's fired up, you know what I'm talking about, when there's just that brightness in the eyes, when, when they're so excited, you almost get swept up in their passion. You don't even care what they we're talking about. It's like, I'm excited just because you are. Like that 
great old preacher story of the atheist who watched John Wesley preach. And his friend said, why are you going to watch him preach? You don't believe what he's preaching. And he said, yeah, but he does. He does. And I like to listen to him because I can tell he believes what he's, what he's saying. And I think that there needs to be more enthusiasm, that we get gripped by God. So where does that come from? It comes from willingness for God to fill you, willingness for God to invade you, willingness to, for God to meet with you as you seek him on your own in scripture, as you get before him in prayer, as you take walks with him alone in the cool of the day or the heat of the day or whatever kind of day you're having. Just walking with God, growing, not getting tired, not getting bored, not graduating past the basics. Just seeking God and knowing him and loving him and wanting to show that love to others and wanting to serve the people that are around you. And being creative at how to grow and not become stagnant and lukewarm in your marriage or in your relationship or, or in your friendships or in serving in your church, and making a difference. I told you at the beginning that, that there are two things that are common written on packages that are fragile. One, of course, is, as we said, it's our title, Handle with Care. The other, of course, would be what? This side up. This side up. Keep this, keep this package oriented this way. I think a lot of times if we want to have enthusiasm in our lives, it comes from living this side up with our hearts set on heaven, not just on things of the earth, but we're thinking through, follow through in all we do. We're thinking, how will this live out? How will this ring out into eternity? How will I feel about this decision? How will I feel about this interaction? How will I feel about this addiction standing before God, before God in heaven, looking back on my life? Let's live, church, this side up. It will cause there to be an enthusiasm and not a going through the motions, not a eh, not a half-heartedness, not a sluggishness. There will be a, a, a zeal. There will be an urgency. We'll be passionate and stirred up and fired up and ready to do all that God's called us to do. So to recap, creativity, traction, resolve, enthusiasm. These are our handles. This is going to help us to handle with care. Handle with care. Come on, you see what I did there? It's a whole thing. Handle with care. Now, my favorite verse in the text, and we're going we're gonna to close with this, <clears throat> is verse 27, where the servant says, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. Being on the way, the Lord led me. How did this all happen, he says. He says, it happened because I was on the way. What way? The way to Mesopotamia, the way to obedience. I found the girl that this person was supposed to marry. I found the right person when I was on the way. When I made sure to stay on the way, that finding the right person I was looking for worked itself out. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know there's a lot of you who are tempted to, to compromise or to make decisions or to, you know, I, I know that this is what God wants for me, but look, that's not realistic. It's not exactly like they're, they're making guys like that in a factory or making girls like that in a factory. And so you're sort of thinking, I need, to, I need to lower my standards just a little bit. Let me tell you, you don't need to worry so much about who you're finding and where he is and where she is and how that's all going to work. What do you need to do? Come on, stay on the way. Stay in your relationship with Jesus. If you just trust in God with all of your heartly, not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. The servant looked back and said, as long as I was on the way that Abraham, my master, told me to go, I was able 
to be marvelously helped by him. That's how this thing worked out. And I believe that's how your love story is going to unfold, that you'll be able to be telling the story to your kids and your grandkids one day, and the story will be written. I was just following Jesus. And, and, and then God just, God just took care of it. I didn't have to go worry and concern and stress out over this thing. As I followed Jesus, it all just worked out in the end. You receive it in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. And we thank you that just like the servant came with gifts, the servant sent by the Father on behalf of the Son coming to get the bride brought gifts. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit sent into the world by the Father to get a bride for the Son out of the world has also given gifts. Given gifts to us, each of us have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to use. And I pray for all of us, whether we have an awareness of what those gifts are or not, that we would all have a willingness to see you revealed to us what those gifts are and begin to use them with enthusiasm as we serve and contribute in this world. If as we're praying all across the church, you would say, I want to be open to what God gifts, God's gifts are, his gifts, the Spirit's given me, whatever those might be, I want to be open to that. Or if you would say, there's some decisions I've made when it comes to honor, when it comes to sex, when it comes to this, based on what I've heard today, God has opened my eyes to see some things I need to change. If you would say, I'm open to God's Holy Spirit moving in my life. If, if you would say, I want to act on and respond to out of obedience to this revelation. Could I just ask that all across the church, every single person watching on Facebook and YouTube and in every location and watch party, every, every part of the world on demand or on a podcast or on television, if you would say, I'm responding to the Holy Spirit even now, just raise a hand up. God will see you. Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up all across the church. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're building. Thank you for, for you stoking the fires of revival, even in this moment. I pray you'd bless each. Fill them with your spirit. I pray for a, for a new wind to fill their souls, their soul like a sail. I pray for fire upon them. I pray for forgiveness and healing. I pray for restoration and redemption. I pray for you too rise up a generation who will honor you most of all and honor those made in your image. You can put your hands down. I'm going to offer now a moment in time for anybody who has not made a decision to follow Jesus as Savior. And just like this, this, this girl was asked, are you willing? The Bible is, says that God is able to save you, able to heal you, able to promise you heaven, but you have to be willing. And if at this moment you're willing to open your heart up to Jesus, he will come in. He will heal you. He will make you new. This could be your first day born again with living eternal life flowing through your veins. All you have to do is open your heart to Christ. I'm going to say a prayer. Say it with me and God will hear you and Jesus will come in. Say this. Say, dear God, please come into my heart. Make me new. I give myself to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living to give me resurrection power. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those making that decision. If you did just pray that prayer, 
Grab your phone and send a quick text message to 97,000. Put the words fresh life in the text so we can encourage you and walk you forward in the next steps walking with Jesus. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message, and I hope it blessed you. It did. We hope it blessed it you. It blessed me. Oh, that's great. And I'm, I know it blessed you. <laughs> that's amazing. Hey, we wanted to also say, if, if, if all this stuff that we're talking about, you want to uh, dig down more into it, uh, we have a whole book. Oh, upside down. Called yeah, Swipe Right. Yeah, the way you showed I'm it. Holding you it, it like, so weird. Twisted it. Thank you. You did like a windmill. Oh, that's true. Uh, Swipe Right, Life and Death, uh, Power of Sex and Romance, and a chance just to, to talk more about these things. I like that in a book you can drill down more in a message. It's hard to get the kind of context that, that you want on everything as you're just going, you know, a million miles an hour. I was just preaching so much uh, text, maybe too much. Nope. Just right amount? Yep. Well, hey, thanks for being such... you like Rebecca. You're like such a servant. It's one of the things I really just love about you. You have such a servant's heart. Thanks. Well, I hope this message blessed and challenged you. We also want to say uh, that if you are interested in interning at Fresh Life, we have a summer internship. Uh, you can get all the information at internship.freshlife.church, and we would love to have you consider spending your summer with us from May to August. You can get college credits for it, so apply. Coming out with us at uh, Fresh Life, serve God, explore Montana, be amazing. Anyhow, we love you so love much. You. Thank you for being a part of our ministry.